This is the Only in Miami show, sponsored by Morningside Mortgage Corporation of Bay Harbor Islands. Tonight's show is hosted by Grant Stern. Find out more about our sponsor at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Stream it all at onlyinmiamiradio.com. And we are live tonight. If you're in the car, stay tuned. We have a fantastic show planned. We are live with Democratic congressional candidate Mary Barzi Flores. She is in studio with us. And she's going to be with us for most of this hour. And then we also have an interview coming up later in the program with an artist who is going to be uh, holding her opening this Saturday. Her name is Stina Alea, and she's going to be at the Virginia Key Beach Park uh, this Saturday, February 10th from 7 to 10. But this is the part of the program where I get a few minutes to speak directly with you, the listening audience, about issues of importance that impact us citywide and sometimes beyond. And tonight, we're going to talk about the Miami Pine Rocklands and how it has made an entry into the 27th District Congressional race in the Democratic primary because... Uh, one of the candidates was very involved in a dirty deal, a secret deal to transfer property from the University of Miami over to a developer, a private developer, who wants to build a Walmart, 900 apartments, a Chili's, an LA Fitness, and a few other things right there inside of Miami's most endangered forest. That Prospective candidate is Donna Shalala. She was the president of the University of Miami for 15 years, from 2001 to 2016. Prior to that, she was a member of Bill Clinton's cabinet and served as Health and Human Resources Secretary, the HHR Secretary. Well, former President Shalala also had a role that didn't garner as much attention as her job as president of the University of Miami. She was also on the board of directors of Lennar, the publicly traded real estate company. She served on the board of directors of Lennar from 2001 to April of 2012. That is a paid position. Now, my extensive research on the Pine Rocklands uh, land deal, it uncovered that in 2006, the academic village that the University of Miami had been speaking about changed. And they changed council, and the plan changed. And they worked on it for several years afterwards. In fact, for quite a long time afterwards, because they needed major zoning changes. And in 2006, I believe that what caused that change was finding a Superfund site, a EPA Superfund site that the University of Miami left uncleaned up, a nuclear radioactive waste area inside of this sensitive forest that they did clean up, but it seems to have changed their project. Well, one of the people overseeing Donna Shalala happened to be Lennar's CEO, Stuart Miller. He served on the University of Miami's board and as vice chairman starting in 2002. 
So for all of those many years, for a decade, Donna oversaw Stuart and Stuart oversaw Donna. It's a chummy relationship between two people who are supposed to be watchdogs. Boards of directors exist to watchdog executives. But here you have two executives serving on each other's boards. That doesn't seem to be conducive to having the kind of strong oversight that one would want of a nonprofit university or a public company. Well, Donna Shalala resigned that position in April of 2012, and Stuart Miller became the chair of the Board of Trustees for the University of Miami in 2014, right around the time that this real estate deal was heating up. And it was eventually announced very shortly after uh, he became chair. Uh, he became, uh, Mr. Uh, Miller became the chairman of the Board of Trustees at UM on May 16, 2014. The deal was announced in July of 2014. And the secret real estate deal went down when they created what they were calling an academic village. The University of Miami planned to make student housing and some classrooms and something that was part of their educational mission. But some, some, for some reason we don't know, that educational mission fell by the wayside. And instead, the property was rezoned and sold for $22 million to a developer named Ram Realty. Well... It took a little bit of research, but there happens to be a link between the two. And the link is that Ram Realty invested into a Lennar project <clears throat> back in 2013. So you have a situation where there's already been lax oversight, a chummy relationship between people that are supposed to be overseeing each other for all of those years. And I'm just going to read from the Ram Real Estate website. Uh, this is in 2013. Uh, Ram invests in Lennar's Midtown Apartment Project. Uh, Lennar Multifamily Investors has an investment partner. Uh, this is in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, basically, they made you know they used an affiliate. They made a 45 an investment into the 45 million dollar project. So there you have the head of the board of trustees conducting a deal with one of his investors. And then afterwards, that's where it gets really ugly because Donna Shalala used the revolving door and went back onto Lennar's board at the beginning of last year, barely one year ago. That's a paid position, by the way. So to recap, you have a university president selling off an endangered piece of land. The person overseeing her happens to be overseen by her and a partner with the company that purchased the environmentally sensitive land. It all just doesn't add up. It sounds like there is something wrong here. And for starters, it is the revolving door. It's the chummy relationship between fiduciaries. These people are supposed to have a fiduciary duty to the stakeholders to protect the University of Miami from bad deals like selling off a campus to a Walmart developer. I just don't know what to say, except that Donna Shalala departed without really telling anybody why she left her job as president of the university very shortly after the news of that deal came out. And today, there are two lawsuits 
a lawsuit, a, a lawsuit against the county in state court and a lawsuit against the Department of Interior in federal court, both over that same project. So Donna Shalala's short-term vision for making a buck, which impelled her to take money from Ponzi schemers, caused two terrible lawsuits and the potential loss of irreplaceable habitat in this community. That's her big contribution. Athletic scandals, Ponzi schemer money, and some crony capitalism to pave over the most endangered forest in all of Miami-Dade County. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamiradio.com. News, politics, music, and more. Check it out at onlyinmiamiradio.com. And we are back with Mary Barzi Flores. She is a Democratic candidate for Congress in the 27th District here in Miami. Mary, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to speak with your listeners. So, Mary, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and about your background in public service. I'm happy to do that. First, I'd like to say that I hear congratulations are in order. Oh, thank you very much. The That's birth right. of a child. Two months old uh, yesterday. Oh, congratulations. Thank Wonderful. You. Beautiful. Um, all right. So let me tell you a little bit about myself. I was uh, born uh, in Miami, born and raised in Miami. I was born at Jackson Memorial Hospital. I grew up a couple blocks from the Flagler dog track, graduated from Coral Gables High, where I sent my own kids. Um, I've worked and lived uh, within the boundaries of District 27 uh, literally my entire life. Um, I started working uh, at age 15 uh, right here in the district. Um, it was shortly after my father died. and. Uh, he left my mom with three kids and no savings and no life insurance and no anything. And so I needed to get a job and I got my first job working um, right at the Pizza Hut on Lejeune Road on the way to the airport. Uh, I'm sure we all, all have uh, driven by it if we haven't stopped there as well. Uh, first job was washing dishes. 
And since that point, I've uh, really worked nonstop right, right in the district. So I've uh, been a waitress. I've been a cook. I've been a dishwasher, as I said. I've been a maid. Um, I've been a bartender. I was a freelance musician. Um, all of that play? before law school. My uh, undergrad degree, actually, is in a classical flute performance. Oh, okay, cool. From, from the University of Miami. From the Frost School. From the Frost School of Music, yeah. Great, great school, great program. Um, and, uh, and my law degree is from UM as well. And um, after that, I was a uh, federal public defender for about 12 years. And then I was elected to the circuit court bench and served uh, as a judge here in Miami-Dade County. That's the state court, uh, 73 West Flagler, right? There and at the criminal courthouse as well, the one over near Jackson. Sure. Um, so, so public service, and then that was part of your question, uh, 12 years as a federal defender and uh, almost nine years as a circuit court judge, where I sat both in the civil division and in the criminal division. Wow, that's that's a, a long time in the legal system. I mean, that's uh, you know, it, on both sides really, right? Because as a judge, you know, like as a defender, you're you're there to try and make sure that people don't go to jail. But as a judge, you may have to send somebody over there. So very different jobs, very very different jobs. So as a as a public defender, my job was to fight for my clients and uh, do my very best for them. Um, and as a judge, my my job was to um, be impartial and uh, call the balls and strikes, um, but to ensure that justice was done in the courtroom. And that meant, you know, making sure everybody felt like they got a fair shake, whether they were a victim or a defendant, white or black, rich or poor, um, gay or straight. So is your district getting a fair shake right now from its current representative? And how would you do things differently if you were elected? Well, uh, Ileana ross Leighton, um enjoys a, a, a pretty good reputation in this district. And uh, I can tell you that certainly uh, if I'm in Congress, uh, when I'm in Congress, uh, our voting records would not be very similar. But um, I have to give credit where credit's due. There's one thing that the Congresswoman um, is very, very well known for, and that's her constituent services. And I hear it day in and day out when I talk to people in this district, how they always felt and, and feel like they can call on her office. And it doesn't matter whether they're a Democrat or a Republican. If they live in this district, um, they'll get uh, attention from, from her staff and from her office. So you've been out in the district campaigning. What would you say the top three issues that your constituents are bringing up to you. What are the three most important things to the people in District 27? Yeah, I think healthcare is the number one issue that I hear over and over again. Um, folks in this district, you know, I think uh, Miami-Dade County is, if it's not ground zero number one for Obamacare signups in the entire country, it's, it's close to that. I think it might have actually been number one. Um, we've got literally tens and tens of thousands of folks uh, right within District 27 who are signed up for Obamacare. So uh, I know I was one of them until the premiums went through the roof and I had to choose a different provider. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's certainly a fix that, that's needed um, because not, you know, although Obamacare was a great first step, there's definitely things about it. Uh, the, well, that was after the, the Trump care, you know, where he took away all the cost sharing and pretty much attacked Obamacare. 
Yeah, but premiums actually uh, are too high, and we're and we're already a little uh, we're already too high even before Trump. Oh sure. Well, I mean, what what do you advocate to change the picture for health insurance in America? Well, I am in favor of without any question, right? Full stop. Uh, universal affordable health care. How we okay. get there um, matters matters necessarily less to me as long as we get there. So like I said, Obamacare was a good first step, but there's still uh, tens of millions of people without insurance and we need to fix that for sure. So whether it's Medicare for all or whether it's called something else, whether it's single payer, whatever it's called, whatever the details are less important than than I think what the value is. And the value is uh, affordable, universal health care for every single person living in this country. So what are the other issues that people are telling you are important to them in District 27? Immigration is huge. Okay, what are you hearing? Because there's another shutdown coming. Nobody's even talking about it. I mean, today is the 5th. The government is funded through the 8th, right? Yeah, I, I think it's like through Thursday. Right. I so, think so, so what do you think the Democrats should be doing? Because right now it's in the Senate, of course. But what do you think the Democrats should be doing on immigration? And with the upcoming shutdown, do you think that that should be used as a bargaining chip to fight for immigration reform or to fight for a clean dream bill? I think we've got to fight for the dreamers. There's no question about that. These are um, young people who are here through no fault of their own. And uh, to be a recipient of deferred action um, means that, that each and every one of them who are what we're calling the dreamers, these are the, the young people here under deferred action, they, uh, they have to register with the government. The government knows where they are. Oh, sure. Um, they're law-abiding citizens. They're law they have to be. To become dreamers. You're absolutely right, Grant. Um, yeah. they, they cannot have a, a spot on their record, as they say. And, and they're, they're working or they're going to school. Uh, and if they're working, that means they're paying taxes. So these are, these are people that are doing everything right. And uh, if that's not something to fight for, I don't know what is. And number three, I'm sure there's a third issue that people might be talking about in your district. Uh, the environment, absolutely. Okay. The environment. People, uh, you know, I think uh, folks in, in District 27, I mean, this is an area where even Republicans are, are generally not climate deniers. Actually, I'll, I'll give you a great example of that. Uh, the former mayor of Miami, Tomas Regalado, asked the only question about climate change and sea level rise at any of the Republican debates for president in 2016. And then he came on this show and we talked about it. Yeah. But what would you do if you were elected to make a difference? Oh, well, I think that, uh, it, first of all, Congress has to change hands, right? So just me being elected wouldn't, uh, wouldn't <clears> be good <throat> enough. You uh, promise you'll bring some friends. I'll, I'm okay. going to bring some friends. So if you bring some friends, <clears throat> which I hear might happen. Might happen. Might happen. Uh, I think what chances next? are good, actually. Um, well, I think we need to get back uh, the, into the Paris Accord. That's uh, number one. Okay. Um, and uh, 
you know, this this president and his enablers in Congress have have been uh, seemingly joyfully uh, reversing and rolling back every environmental rule and regulation that the Obama administration had put into effect. So I say it's time to roll back the rollbacks. So you think that that Congress should use the regulations that President Obama elect, uh, enacted as a roadmap to create legislation? Yes, absolutely. Well, Mary, tell our audience where they can find out a l little bit more about your campaign, and then we're going to take a very short break. Where can they find out more and take the conversation onto the Internet after the show? Mary Barzi Flores for Congress. www.marybarzee Flores, right? That's it. And where can they uh, reach out on Facebook and on Twitter? Both. <coughs> Go ahead. Twitter at MBF for Congress. At MBF Mary Barzi Flores. MBF uh -huh, for, for Congress, Congress. Right. And then Facebook is Mary Barzi Flores. All righty. We'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamiradio.com. News, politics, music, and more. Check out our stream at onlyinmiamiradio.com. And we're back live with Mary Barzi Flores. She is a Democratic candidate in the primary for Florida's 27th Congressional District. That is Coconut Grove, Pinecrest, a lot of the city of Miami, and it is currently occupied by Ileana Ross-Layton, and if you're wondering... Mary, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Thank you again for having me. So let's talk about a topic that I think is dominating the headlines and threatens to change the dynamic of these congressional races altogether. And that is the potential that this could become a referendum on impeachment of the president. Where do you stand if the race were to become a referendum on the president's fitness of office? Would you be somebody that's interested in pursuing an impeachment process based on the evidence that special counsel Mueller may or may not provide? We don't know what he's going to come up with, but we've seen a lot. Is this something that you would support? Absolutely. 
without a without question. Well, and tell I, me why. Yeah, and I and I have um, considered this seriously and and uh, I think thoughtfully, and I don't come upon this uh, issue rashly. Um, having been a federal public defender for 12 years and then having been on the bench for nearly 10 years. Um, and I, I should mention also that I was an Obama nominee to the federal district court bench. Uh, and so, you know, the rule of law is, is, is an issue that I take very, very seriously. Okay. And um, Well, let's talk I, about this. What's an impeachable offense? Is that what he did with his business, or is that just what he's doing in office? Well, so, so the issue of impeachment uh, is separate and apart than that from a criminal, from a criminal case, right? Right, right. So right. In a, if this were a criminal case, federal prosecutor could you know, bring the evidence to a grand jury. The grand jury would choose to, to uh, indict or not, to bring, bring a true bill or not. Okay. Then, then, then the prosecutor gets the gets the indictment, and then charges are brought. The and then you go to court, right? And the jury decides ultimately. Um, impeachment is a is a completely different process, and and the the House of Representatives is vested with the authority, the sole authority, the full authority, to to bring forth the articles of impeachment. Um, you so does that mean you would seek a seat? On the House Judiciary Committee, if elected, I That's would. I would. Are, I would uh, be l pretty low on the totem pole, uh, and so of course that would be one of the greatest uh, honors of my life. But uh, to, to to have such a seat, but well, that is the committee that votes on the bill of impeachment once it is submitted, and there's a couple of them submitted right now. That's correct. That's correct. So when we go back back though to your question about. Uh, what are impeachable offenses? So, you know, the, the usual, what we hear of, is the high crimes or misdemeanors. But, right. it, but it doesn't, not every crime um, should result in impeachment, and, and n not every act that is not a crime uh, could not result in impeachment. So it, it, it's, it depends. And that's, a, that's, the, uh, that's Congress's um, well, that, you know, that's, that's what Gerald Ford said. He said that anything Congress decides is impeachable is impeachable, right? Right. And so for this president, certainly obstruction of justice um, is a crime and is an impeachable offense. And I think the president has pretty much already admitted that he uh, fired the director of the FBI, Comey, um, to get rid of this, quote unquote, Russia thing. Um, the pressure is off. That's, you know, that's, <laughs> it really goes to, uh, certainly the president <coughs> has a right, yeah. uh, right, and authority to, to fire the director of the FBI. But, um, so that, that's, there's no question that he, that he had the right to do it. What, what makes this an impeachable offense is if his motivation to do it was not because he thought Comey was just doing a bad job as FBI director, but if, it's a, if the reason, his motivation for doing, for firing him, was to end the investigation into him and to his people, then that's, that's obstruction of justice. Well, I'd like to talk about two other big problems with this president that only Congress can really regulate, and that is accepting emoluments, payments, Okay, and there's two emoluments clauses, not just one. There's a domestic one and a foreign one. We'll get to that. We'll save that for last. And there's the First Amendment. Okay, um, as a judge, 
I don't know if you heard any First Amendment cases. They don't come up too much in state court, right? It's true, they don't. Did it come up in your, your federal court? Because, I mean, there's a lot of cases where law enforcement retaliates against people for exercising their First Amendment rights. Did you ever get to fight one of those out? Uh, no, I did not. Well, are you concerned that the president's persistent, determined efforts to chill free speech, to attack the media, to seek to attack the media on a corporate level, to say, well, I'm going to interfere with this merger because there's a news organization involved. Are you concerned that those represent violations of the First Amendment that may rise to the level of an impeachable offense in this case? You know, if, it, if it doesn't amount to a violation of the First Amendment, um, what, what it does do is undermine um, our democracy. And undermining- Is that an impeachable offense? It is, absolutely. Okay, I mean, you know, that's, it, that's something that, that's been the most dismaying thing to me, to watch this man attack, you know, the precepts of the Constitution, which he swore to uphold. And the only check on that, besides the ballot box, is Congress. Uh, so let's talk about the Emoluments Clause. That's, it was obscure before. It's not so obscure now. It's in the Constitution as well. Do you believe that his acceptance of foreign payments from foreign governments through the hotel, through his personal business holdings held in a personal trust, a personal trust is nothing more than a device to hold something personally. If you hold something in trust, you're the beneficial owner. It just separates out the named owner, but you're still the person who receives the money. Do you believe that Congress needs to step in and regulate those payments, and if not, remove the president from office for that alone? Yes, and, and his violation of the Emoluments Clause is definitely an impeachable offense. And uh, again, like you've, you've hit the nail on the head with regard to the trust issue. Um, it's a personal trust. He, he could have set this up in a, in a traditional blind trust where mm -hmm. he has no authority and, and his family members are not uh, in authority over, over these assets, but that's not what he did. And um, we'd have to, we might want to know more about why he didn't do it, but it, it's, it, it appears to be for a corrupt reason. Well, I mean, he had that infamous press conference <clears throat> where he trotted out about a mm, hundred folders that seemed to be blank and the best law firm in Russia and said, I'm divested. Look at this paper. Um, so why, why is it that he wouldn't want to divest? Is there some sort of advantage? Do you think he's trying to gain there? Well, I think that's what Mueller's looking into. Yeah. Well, do you think that there's other complications to having a private business interact with government and this whole obstruction case? Because it seems to me like you have a lot of cooperation outside the White House, um, you know, it's not just Donald Trump trying to obstruct justice. It may be some other folks involved. Right. Well, that's why we, we don't want foreign uh, officials or foreign money uh, corrupting our, our government or our democracy. And that's, that's what makes uh, all of those financial entanglements uh, so problematic. Well, uh, you know, money in politics is one of the biggest issues. So what is your overall fundraising strategy for this race because it's not going to be cheap obviously for the primary i spoke with matt hagman and he's approaching bankers that work at large firms i spoke with michael hepburn he's raising money in small amounts from uh, lots of donors i spoke with ken russell he's kind of in between 
Um, what, what's your overall strategy for making it through what's a very crowded Democratic primary field? Right, so I've, I've raised uh, over half a million dollars so far. Fundraising is going well um, for me. Um, but I'm raising it, the vast, vast, vast majority of it, from people who live in the district. And, and a lot of it from folks in my personal network. So people who know me and, and want to see me in Congress because they know that I'll fight for them I'll fight for their neighbors, I'll fight for their families, and I'll fight for what's right. Those are the folks that are contributing to my campaign. Well, we've got a couple of minutes left. So is there one particular issue that you would like to address that we haven't talked about already that's something that is motivating you to run for Congress, something you want to see fixed? Yeah, criminal justice reform. Okay, let's talk about that. So as a uh, federal public defender for 12 years and then as a judge for nearly nine years, um, I saw up close uh, what works right, what works well, and, and what doesn't work. Okay. And um, draconian, uh, harsh, cruel minimum mandatories. The sentences. Yes. Sentences, minimum mandatory on the federal level. On the federal level, <clears throat> we've got them in the state level as well. But, but there, there, there are more of them, and they're more <clears throat> pernicious at the at the federal level. Oh yeah. It, um, it's, it's not just horrible uh, for for the families affected. Um, and I'm not suggesting that people who commit, you know, crime don't deserve to be punished. I'm not suggesting that. But tying the hands of of judges uh, who have experience, life experience and bench experience, tying their hands um, does no good uh, at all. And the judges will tell you that. They, they, they hate the minimum mandatories. Well, let's talk about disparate treatment. Um, and, and, and let's also talk about a ballot issue that is coming up on the 2018 ballot in Florida. And there was a, a landmark decision. I, I, I'm sure you guys saw it, right? The, so the the well, it was the Florida Supreme Court, right? No, it was I'm a sorry, federal the federal judge. judge. Yeah, I'm sorry, Judge Warner. Too many cases right now. I'm yeah, thinking I, of the the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. So uh, the Tallahassee federal judge uh, overturned the state of Florida's system for determining who gets their civil rights back after committing a felony. Um, but what they don't mention in all these articles is that stealing as little as three hundred dollars in the state of Florida can result in a felony. And what's that, what that has done is it has disenfranchised 1.7 million people. And predominantly, uh, these people are African-American. And the court even cited the governor for using partisan reasons to decide who gets to vote and who doesn't. Is it time on the federal level for a new Civil Rights Act or Civil Rights Acts? I think yes. I, I think uh, and and but criminal justice reform uh, even goes beyond that. But yes, of course. And 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 folks who have uh, paid their, done their time, and paid their debt to society, um, it, it shouldn't be that you give up your right to vote forever. And the example that you that you referenced, where um, our system here in Florida can be so arbitrary, that uh, if you're a felon, but you but just say you voted for the governor um, and you're white, you get your, your voting rights restored. But if you're black 
and you and you didn't vote even I mean in, in the in the case of the white gentleman who voted for uh, Rick Scott as I understand the evidence that came before Judge Warner he had voted illegally oh that's uh, right he voted illegally for Rick Scott for Rick Scott right he got his voting rights restored um, but but black uh, convicted felons who had not voted for uh, illegally for Rick Scott did not have their voting rights restored. So you I mean, get to have such an arbitrary. I mean, it's crazy true story. This isn't just, not just a true story, but this is actually facts found by a federal court. Right, right. So, th so that, really, that really demonstrated how arbitrary, but there's so many things in the criminal justice system um, that, are, that are either arbitrary or where you see over and over again black people, brown people, people of color being disproportionately affected by, by the, the, house, the harsh outcomes. What are some of the other issues? And, and let's leave aside the sentencing disparity issue, which has been addressed a little bit, but like the difference between crack cocaine and cocaine sentencing in federal courts is like uh, 20 to 1 it used to it be? It used to be 100 to 1. Oh, I'm sorry, it was 100 to 1. Now what is it, about 10? Well, the Obama administration changed the sentencing guidelines um, so that there was uh, more parity between uh, uh, crack and, and powder cocaine. Where it ended up, I don't, I don't recall where it ended up in the sentencing, but it is much, much, much fairer now than it used to be. Um, but minimum mandatories is something we have to get rid of. Um, just in general, the mass incarceration. We, we incarcerate more people in the United States, I think, than in any other country. Um, and that costs money to the public as it well. It certainly costs money, and it, it ruins lives, and it break up, breaks up families, and it keeps people out of the workforce, which means they're not paying taxes. I mean, it's, it's, it's a real problem. The well, privatization of, the, of our prison systems um, that's is another also problem a problem. That President Obama's Department of Justice, in a memo by Sally Q. Yates, the former acting attorney general, uh, was looking to eliminate, but now is being brought back by Jeff Sessions. Yes, Jeff Sessions is bringing back a lot of failed policies from the from the eighties. Uh, he wants to further. He wants to bring back the criminalization at the federal level of marijuana, even in states where I was the, just the state ask you about has that. elect has voted to decriminalize marijuana. Well, is that something you support regulating marijuana like alcohol? Yes, I do. For, for folks who are over 21, I think that uh, marijuana uh, should be legal. So tell our audience in one minute why they should vote for you, Mary Barzi Flores, for the Democratic con congressperson from the 27th District here in Miami. Uh, I think folks should vote for me because I've lived here my whole life. I, I share their values, uh, the values which are core Democratic values. I I understand this district. I understand the kinds of jobs uh, folks are, are working in this district. Um, and uh, my commitment to public service uh, and, and everything in, in my history demonstrates uh, the fact that um, there's nobody who's going to fight more for the people of this district than I will in Congress. Mary, thank you again for coming on to the program tonight. It has been my pleasure. Thank you. It's been my pleasure to speak with your listeners. So where can they take this conversation onto the Internet after the program? Give out your website address and, and Twitter and Facebook. Mary at Mary Barzi Flores for Congress. All righty. That's your, your email address and, of course, website, Mary Barzi for Congress, right? Mary Barzi, Barzi Flores, Flores for, for Congress. Congress. 
Facebook is Mary Barzi Flores. Twitter is at MBF for Congress. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Mama always said we were royalty. She even said it's staring in the face of poverty. Is that insanity or vanity? I think it's nothing but the power of the mind. Believe she put it in me. Because I live on my dreams. I give my fantasies wings. One day I'm gonna be king. I'm gonna make that woman so proud of a son. I know you heard about change. It's gonna change come. One question. Will you be there? Will you be there? I'll be there with my hands held high in the air like a champion. Cause I demand the win. Show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamiradio.com. News, music, politics, and more. Check it out at onlyinmiamiradio.com. And we are back live with special guests, Philip Bacon and Keon Williams. They're here to tell our audience about the Hiring on the Spot Global 1000 at Black Tech Week. Uh, there's a, a, an event. And guys, uh, tell our audience a little bit about this event. I mean, this is something that... I think a lot of people who are listening may want to know about. Okay. Uh, first of all, the first thing we want to uh, say is that this event is not another job fair. It is an actual hiring event. Okay. And um, Philip. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm Phil Bacon. And um, uh, so what we're trying to do is we're trying to reach people uh, that otherwise uh, would not have access to some of the companies that we're bringing uh, to this particular event, having made these companies aware that there is a pool of applicants, a pool of people who are uh, qualified to fill various positions uh, within their ranks. And so we hope that this will be a convergence of, of those who uh, have and those who have not, so to speak, in terms of um, the uh, job availability in Miami. So, Keon, tell our audience the website first, because we're going to give it out a few times so anybody who's interested can write it down. What's the website for the Global 1000 Miami event? This is a very common website, eventbrite.com. Sure. And on eventbrite.com, you'll type in the keywords Global 1000 Miami. Okay, so go to eventbrite.com, 
and type in Global 1000 Miami. Now, what are the, the dates and times for this event and locations? Okay, so we have three days. This is the first time it's ever been done in three cities, City of Miami, City of uh, North Miami, and City of Miami Gardens. Okay, so three different locations in Miami-Dade County. Yes. And it's coming up, what, this weekend, right? This weekend, absolutely. So, so here we are. So on Thursday, this is where we're having the round tech I mean, the round, um, the round table discussions over at CIC Miami, located at 1951 Northwest 7th Avenue. That's between 1 and 5. There'll be a press conference that earlier that morning, but those are the discussions we want folks to, uh, if they have an entrepreneurial spirit, if they are, are interested in going and learning more about tech trends, uh, cryptocurrency, and et cetera, this is where they want to be at. Learning, not yes. investing. Yes, absolutely. For Friday, this is uh, Friday's a very interesting day. On Friday, we're going to have a Caribbean uh, international discussion that's going to be in the city of North. Uh, that's going to be city in North Miami at Johnson and Wales. Uh, that's going to go from twelve. I mean, from ten a.m. to twelve noon. Later that day, we're also going to be giving out uh, haircuts and suits. So for those individuals who are looking for to be well dressed and groomed and those things. For the hiring event, we're making sure they have the opportunity to do that, and that's going to be at Miami Northwestern uh, Senior High School. Uh, we encourage folks to reach out to that um, that school if they're looking to get that done. And, and where can they find it again on the internet? Absolutely, all of the details are as at in, uh, eventbrite.com, and you can type in Global One Thousand Miami. So, Phil, tell our audience who are they looking for? Who should show up to these events? Well, we have a uh, number of jobs that will be available. Some jobs are entry-level jobs. Other jobs are uh, mid-range jobs. And there are still others, uh, jobs that uh, where companies are looking for actual professional managers and so forth. So anyone who is in the job market, uh, we have something for them. The city of Miami uh, and the uh, city of North Miami are actually uh, going to bring their entire uh, human resources department there. And one of the things that I want to emphasize, if I could, oh, go uh, ahead. that we, this, you know, when you're considering coming to a hiring event like this, uh, for a lot of people, this can be the beginning of an entire career and not just a job. So uh, if, uh, for instance, the p police departments are going to be there, we will actually have uh, the state's attorney's office there to expunge records for people who otherwise have had difficulty getting jobs uh, in the past. They can actually go through that process on site. They can then come inside the event, let the employers know, uh, the, uh, you know what's going on uh, or not. Uh, but at any rate, um, you know, this is an event that uh, – people will have an excellent opportunity to get hired. Now, I was reading that this event is is produced by Urban Philanthropies, but who are the corporate partners in this event? Because I think that's very important for a hiring event because these are the people that are giving out the jobs. Absolutely. So first of all, I want to say that our, our main partners on board, that is the city of Miami, the city of North Miami, and the city of Miami Gardens. In addition to that, career source. Without career source, uh, the logistics of bringing all of us together would be impossible. We also have the Beacon Council that's on board. We have Johnson & Wells. We have uh, Black Tech Week. Um, we have Qualified Health Solutions. Uh, shall I go on? The, there is so many. I mean, I, I see mean, a list here. Royal Caribbean, University yes, of Miami. Absolutely. Uh, Florida Memorial University. CIC Miami. Uh, New Birth uh, Baptist Church Employment uh, Ministry, Top Golf, Miami Dolphins, uh, so many to name. So I saw two events 
for pe- for mayors that are showing up. I saw Mayor Suarez is going to be at one event. Yes. And then Mayor Oliver G. Gilbert is going to be at another. He's the mayor of uh, Miami Ma- Gardens. Miami Gardens. So where will Mayor Gilbert be and where will Mil- Mayor Suarez be for the people who want to meet the mayor? So to give it an order, Mayor Suarez will be in Miami at CIC. That's going to be... Um, That's in between Jackson Memorial Hospital and Winwood on Northwest 7th Avenue, just yeah. off of 20th Street. Ab- absolutely. Mm-hmm. So he's going to be there for that. And he's also going to be there on Friday at St. Agnes. Uh, it's a historic uh, church in Overtown. He's going to be there. He's going to bring some it's welcome. Be everywhere. He's listen. He is going to bring the excitement and empowerment that's been needed for people who may have lost hope. You know, in this process of trying to find a job. We know. We know that that's something that's real. So he's going to be there in addition to Ray Lewis. You know, who's a hometown local. He's going to come and he's going to bring recent it. Hall of Fame. Absolutely, Ray, Ray Lewis. It. And then well, that's something you should mention to our audience. Yeah, Absolutely. Of, of course. University of Miami, great Ray right. Lewis will be at St. Agnes in historic Overtown, the 1750 Northwest Third Avenue, and that is February uh, 9th, 9th, right? Yeah, 9th absolutely. From 6 to 8 p.m. An empowerment lecture. Absolutely. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. And then for uh, for the city of Miami Gardens with Mayor Oliver Gilbert, that's going to be at Top Golf. You know, the newly brand new facility. He's going to be there. That's that event starts at 9 a.m. and it goes until 1 um, uh, p.m. Well, Philip Keon, thank you so much for coming on the program with me. One more time, where can people find out more about this job, this hiring affair? It is a hiring fair and associated events. Yes, that's going to be at eventbrite.com, and you'll search for the keywords Global 1000 Miami. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Miami show and I'm your host Grant Stern you can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamiradio.com news music politics and more check it out at onlyinmiamiradio.com and we are back live with Stina Alia she is the artist who's going to be appearing at Virginia Key Beach Park this Saturday February 10th from 7 to 10 Stina thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight thank you for having me Grant so tell our audience a little bit about the event that you're you're throwing, the VIP reception, this Saturday at 7 p.m. at the Virginia Key Beach Park. Right. So I am an oil painter, a fine artist for a few years now, and we are doing our first kickoff of Artist Series. So it's a solo exhibition of all my oil paintings, and it will be on display through the entire month of February. However, this Saturday, it is a free VIP opening reception so it's pretty cool we have award-winning pastry chef max santiago he'll be making um the desserts and they're pretty awesome from what i hear 
And then we'll also have some special performances. So it'll be really fun. And, and let me just add for our audience, uh, Chef Santiago, if you've ever heard of this place called the Salty Donut, like he actually is one of the founders of the Salty Donut. So that's going to be exciting. Uh, so you said it's a free VIP event, right? Yes, it's a free VIP event. Everything, you know, I mean, the performances and the pastries. He's making a special pastry that's called the Sweet Cena just for the event. Um, the only thing that's not free is the artwork. Of course, everything is for sale, but it's specially priced for this event since it is the first. Um, it'll be pretty fun, and it's right before Valentine's Day, so get your gifts for your significant other on time. So uh, what are the viewing times in general for this exhibit? If somebody wants to come out after the 10th, when is this exhibit going to be open to the public? So it will be open to the public Monday through Friday from 12 to 4 p.m. Okay. Well, Stina, tell our audience a little bit about your oil paintings uh, so they have an idea of what they should be coming out to see this Saturday from 7 to 10 at Virginia Key Beach Park. Awesome. So I actually am displaying a few different series that I've been working on. So one of the series is a flower series. Um, I really, I really feel powerful around flowers. It's weird to say this, but I, I really made this, this series based on the fact that flowers bloom no matter their environment, no matter what. They don't worry about what's next to them. They just worry about blooming. So that was really the focus of my flower girl series. Um, so you'll see very unique pieces that bring in different flowers and contrasting colors and things like that. It's really, really beautiful work. I really took my time on those. Um, But then I have another series that I really worked on just being free and really tapping into a lot of just emotions and just really opening up those, those feelings of freedom. So I have a series with, a painting called Discern, a painting called Lotus, and you can see just the style, um, the colors. You can really tell a story by looking at those paintings, so I'm excited to show those too. I do have a ballerina series um, that I'm also displaying, and I just feel that dancers are so powerful and they're so strong, and they just have a different level of strength. So I wanted to tap into that as well and show those paintings too. So. I have about 12 to 13 paintings that will be on display as well as um, canvas prints, limited edition canvas prints and fine art prints. I also have a book. Um, I did oh, what's the name a book of the called book? Entrepreneur. Okay. It's called Entrepreneur, Making Your Dream a Business. And so I'll be doing a book signing for that as well. Is, uh, so tell our audience a little bit about the book. We have like 30 seconds left. What What's the Entrepreneur? Okay, well, the book is basically just to help young entrepreneurs i say entrepreneur so any okay. artist that is looking to be full-time gotcha so how to take yeah. it from a, a hobby or a passion and make it exactly into a career and make it into a business exactly that sounds really cool uh, you know I, I really appreciate you coming on the program stina tell our audience where they can find out more your website and where they can take this conversation onto the internet after the program Awesome. So you can follow me on Instagram. It's Stina Alea. And also I have my website. It's www.stinaalea.com. Well, Stina, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. No problem. Thank you for having me, Grant. And that's all the time we have for tonight's Only in Miami show. I'd like to thank Mary Barzi Flores for coming to the studio. I'd like to thank Keon Williams and Philip Bacon for telling us about the hiring fair 
this weekend. Check out Eventbrite, and you just have to search uh, Miami Global 1000 Miami Global, the number 1000 Miami on Eventbrite. And we'll be back next Monday night. This is the Only in Miami show.